Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a Jewish coffeehouse podcast. The show on which everyday creatives share their unique journeys. I am Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, podcast coach, and also your host. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to The Francisca Show podcast. This is a special episode live panel with some incredible women. And this conversation is around post-sneeze stress disorder, and it's an attempt to raising daughters with a healthier relationship to SNEAS. This is not about solving problems of generations and assuming that we can do that in just one hour with just a handful of women. I would like to give credit uh, for this title. It's a very unique title that Rabbi Anthony Manning and Bracha Polyakov are working on a new book about SNEAS, and they hope to add a lot more of conversation to this topic. I would like to give a shout out to jewishcoffeehouse.com for being a proud supporter of The Francisca Show. And I'd like to introduce my co-host or potentially just panelist. We'll see if she's able to join or not. Um, And that's just one thing with busy, successful, incredible Jewish women is that they usually have families as well. And it's a Sunday and we just have to go with the flow and assume that they will join us when they can. And that's how things happen with Jewish women. You just have to go with the flow. So um, introducing my co-host Yafa Palti, a well-known speaker, inspirational speaker, a trained educator, as well as a certified addictions and substance abuse professional. Every guest on this panel is here to represent a major voice in the Orthodox community. And at times we had to be a little creative. So Yafa Palti was raised in Brooklyn. She went to Beis Yaakov. She also married a Sephardi. So Yafa will be representing both Yeshivish and the Sephardic voices. Next is Fega Leia Landau, born and raised Hasidic Satmar, now living in Montebello near Muncie. She's a mother of eight. She's a core mentor does mentoring for adults and teens worldwide, and an occasional public speaker. Next, Shoshana Keats-Jaskell, a writer and activist who raises awareness of issues that plague the Jewish world and world community. Topics she takes on to include our child sex abuse, women in Judaism, Israel, and the Arab conflict, and so much more. She is also a founding member of Chochmat Nashim, an organization dedicated to positive change in the Jewish community. Shoshana is representing the modern Orthodox or Datilumi community. And finally, last but not least, Adrian Gold Davis was a fixture on Canadian television for over 15 years, both as host of her own daily fashion and beauty program and other well-known publications. After taking a life-changing trip to Israel, she found herself captivated by Judaism and wanted to share that wisdom. For the past 15 years, she has been lecturing and is also a trip leader for Momentum, also known as JWRP. Adrian Gold Davis will be speaking on behalf of the Kirov, or outreach community in Orthodoxy. And for anyone who's meeting me for the first time, my name is Francisca. I'm a singer. I'm the host of the Francisca Show podcast and activist. I've released over five albums, music videos, 100 podcast episodes, and professionally, I'm a podcasting expert and coach, and I use my platform to bring a voice to women and a voice to women's expression. Today, we gather you all here, very respectable women, to represent the voices of Orthodox women today 
in regards to the topic of tznias. Yafa, welcome. I have completed the introductions. I have introduced myself as well. And welcome to everyone who is joining right now. And Yafa, I'll allow you to start um, with the first question. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to be sharing the stage with my esteemed panelists. So it's great to see all of you and welcome to everybody from all around the world. Um, and okay, so let's just jump right in. We're talking about, obviously, you saw the name of our event today post Sineos stress disorder. And this is something that is very prevalent. There are many, many, many women who have grown up in a system and in a society where Sineos was not explained to them and taught to them in a, in a, a manner that they connected with in a healthy way. And we're here today to try to get down to the idea of Tzniyas. What is this mitzvah all about? How do we understand it within our communities? Um, has there been, how can we maybe um, perfect any of the issues that are there? Even just talking about it, even just creating awareness, how can we help reverse this trauma that some people have so that they can help their daughters and the next generation that we're raising uh, develop healthier relationships with this beautiful mitzvah of tzniyos that we will hopefully shed some light on today and each with our own perspectives. Okay, so and by the way, when I say our own perspectives, they're all the Torah perspective. Everything we're talking about today is Torah, but Torah, um, but we have different communities and different customs. And within each of our communities, we do follow different customs and there are certain ways of understanding things. And we're going to cover everything as much as we can today. Let's first, before we get into talking about Tzniyas, we need to define it. We need a definition of Tzniyas. What does Tzniyas mean to you? How do you define Tzniyas? My pleasure, particularly since I'm speaking as someone who, who works in the outreach community and who was reached out to herself and was very decidedly unsneous for the first 42 years of my life. So um, for me, the resonating definition, the thing that was effective for me to make the full transformation that I made was an understanding that my primary identity was internal, that my value and that my sense of self could not and should not be defined by my physicality entirely. It was the understanding that post Gun Aden, the understanding that we were naked suddenly that came to Chava and Adam was as a result of being now obscured as souls first and body second. And that clothing was given as a tikkun, as a correction to that problem. And I would assert that today, particularly in popular culture and certainly in non-Orthodox life, the only sense of shame and modesty a person exhibits is when they feel ashamed that the actual body doesn't look as good as they want it to. So we don't cover up because we are afraid that we are somehow obscuring our souls by over-focusing on the body. We cover up or you know, the average person covers up now because she's ashamed of what she sees. So for me, the primary drive behind the principle of Sneut is the recognition that we de-emphasize the body and even to a certain extent, the emotional system and the personality 
in order to re-emphasize our primary identity as souls. Beautiful. Um, Shoshana, is there anything you would like to add in here? How, how do you define Tineas? What does Tineas mean to you? Well, right now, Tineas just gives me the heebie-jeebies whenever I hear the word, to be honest with you, and we're being honest today. <laughs> um, but I think if I had to answer the question, which apparently I do, I would say that Tineas for me is uh, awareness. It's just being aware of myself. It's being aware of what's going on around me. It's aware, I have to be aware of how I'm coming off uh, and, and how people might view me. And the irony is that it's not an objective thing, right? Like I can be in one place and be extraordinarily sneeze and be wearing the same outfit somewhere else and be considered mamash not. Or I could be speaking in a way uh, uh, that is normal for a, a certain circumstance. And, and in another circumstance, um, maybe I would speak differently. So I think that as a woman, for me, I would define being sneeze as being aware of myself and how I'm coming across to other people. Uh, and that's not just clothing. I just want to make it clear. It's, it's mamash, not just clothing. Very good. So it's, it's something that's more of like um, a behavior as opposed to uh, inches. Exactly, of inches. So it's interesting that you say that. I actually want to talk about that a little bit in a minute. I first would love to hear what Faye Galea has to say about her interpretation of her understanding, rather, and of Tzniyas and what it means to you, Begalaya. Hi, first of all, it's an honor to speak with such great people and an honor to speak to such great people. I wish I'd see more faces, but I'm honored to speak to the people behind the blank uh, squares of Zoom. And of course, the ones I see. Um, Tzniyas to me is um, having a deep inward connection um, having a connection of whatever I have, I've got within and not needing to flaunt it, not needing to flaunt myself, not needing to flaunt what I do, and not needing to flaunt my body. Um, myself meaning who I am, what I've worked, you know, as in the person I want to be, what I do, like everything I reach out, everything I do, or doesn't have to be uh, posted on um, Facebook and, and WhatsApp and, you know, to leave some or part or more of it for myself, for my own connection to myself, my own um, drawing on my own value and my connection to Hashem, that's what I do, and not having to flaunt my body, um, because really our bodies are the most beautiful and intricately uh, fascinating possession that we have, and there's no need to flaunt it in order to validate its value, um, and even more so since it houses a piece of infinity a piece of god um we really want to uh be able to focus on what it houses on our souls and um to remember what our essence is so therefore we cover our bodies and let the light of our souls emanate through our faces that's so beautiful i love i love everything that you all said and i just want to add in a little bit that i i love to talk about tzniyos or tzniyot um as a um, as opposed to only a mitzvah. I think that sometimes we, when we hear tzniyot, and this is why Shoshana gets triggered by it, and I'm sure many people do, which is precisely why we call it TSD, right? Um, I, I think that we need to understand that in order to fulfill the mitzvah of tzniyot, we have to first understand what the mita is. The mita is characteristic of tzniyot. It's more it, it, the behavior of tzniyot rather than just an external 
portrayal of what Sneoth is. Um, and I think that very often, if, if you don't mind, I, I would like to redefine Sneoth right now, because I think that we often define it as, what's the English word we use for Sneoth? For Sneoth? Modesty. 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 Right? I see everybody chimed in. Modesty has become the, the way that we translate the word Sneoth. And the truth is, I think that that's a mistake. I don't think that Sneoth is actually um, modesty because it's not a Jewish concept. The idea of modesty means to be hidden. It means that I, I, I'm not allowed to be seen. And there's no space for me. Sneoth is not about modesty because what we have is not something bad. We're not trying to hide who we are. So the way I like to define snoot is discretion. Discretion. Because the, uh, it's, again, it's not something bad. It's not something evil. Discretion doesn't say that what you have is bad. Rather, it says that what you have is valuable. It, and, and you have to be discerning what you want to share, how you want to share it, with whom you want to share it, when you want to share it, where you want to share it. That's what discretion is. And because this is something that applies to a treasure. You're discreet about a treasure. When you have something very valuable, right? That's when you're discreet about it. Sneot means boundaries. I love that. <laughs> boundaries. <laughs> Can we jump on to the next question? Yes. So now let's move on. Okay. Okay. Question number two. Thank you for all the introductions. And I'd love to just remind everyone, this is a panel. So we want to make sure we get as many voices represented here. And there's so many parts of the topic that we want to cover today. Okay, so now that we understand that sneeze can be very triggering and it can be also a, a very ambiguous concept to so many different women, if I can ask you, every panelist here, how did sneeze become so misinterpreted and so misunderstood that the generation today has such an unhealthy relationship with it? So we'll start with Fegele. Would you like to start? The way I know it and see it, the way I see the results um, is actually, um, I can only see from where I'm coming from, from how I was raised and how it um, expressed itself and how we were taught and also from the results of people reaching out to me. So sneeze was once more commonly an inacknowledged and a way of life, particularly by, by the observant Jewish women. I mean, once meaning going back to pre-World War II, it was an unspoken thing and not something that needed to be preached about because there was more an understanding of it. And limited transportation and communication helped it keep, helped keep it that way. Um, when, when, so women were always the drive behind the scenes. I mean, that is actually our essence. We are the drive behind the scenes, as we know that behind many stories of great men, there was there, were, there was a great woman coordinating and encouraging the moves, and women themselves brought the greatest salvations in history. But after World War II, most survivors settled in large cities over the world, and life was different. All, but it all went out in the open. Transportation and communication became a given. Schools for the girls became a given. And there was some contemplating by Godolin that I know as part of history um, in that time, uh, to which, as which path to take in teaching the girls. And in order to have Yiddishkeit survive and stabilize again. So most Godolim stuck to the path. They, they all, like most Godolim decided to take the path of teaching the basics, 
teaching how to keep and conform to mitzvahs and, and um, no questions asked. Basically, that was a very basic uh, decision. There was such a deficit of whom to ask that it wouldn't be possible to satisfy the students. So teach they did and they taught to really conform to everything without questions asked in most of the schools. Many teachers had no way of explaining sneers other than not flaunting your body. That was the only way they were able to explain sneers. And they didn't have anyone to ask and there was a lot of confusion. And in regards to not flaunting your body, they, there's also a mitzvah in the Torah, which is meaning that you shouldn't, um, you, so, so there's, so a woman's body is impressive and God put it into nature this way and, and especially to men to bring the desire in order for the world and, and the generations to multiply, which is an amazing thing. And there is the way we do that mitzvah of a part of it is by not flaunting our bodies. So that's just a piece of sneers linked to a different mitzvah. And somehow that's the piece that most teachers focused on. Maybe that's the easiest piece to focus on. Maybe that's the easiest explanation that you can give without having to go into too many details and questions. And many teachers taught their students out of great fear of not losing our precious heritage. That fear was passed on and got integrated into the school systems in many schools. Fear was implemented as a tool of keeping alive the survival of our heritage. And the negative ramifications are still alive and well. I respect and appreciate all the hard work that schools do, all the time did and are doing, but it's time for the fear to be, to be replaced with love and trust. Now, we're not trying to redo all the schools, but we are mothers and we ourselves need to know what's behind the hatred, the trauma. There's a lot of fear behind it. It's fear driven. So God does not pounce on people. He's not there to get back at us. And he loves us infinitely. We all know that. And he will often send challenges our way to encourage us to assess ourselves and grow and stretch and become the greatest version we can get, we can become, and to make this world a better place to live in. But to teach Smeas in a way of God's going to get back to you the way it was taught, that's where the trauma lies. And I just want to read a paragraph of a letter that was forwarded to me from Jew in the City. And that letter is, is going like, to give you a little bit of an understanding what I mean by... Uh, what I mean by the fear that it was implemented with. So this is a letter that, is, that a girl wrote, and part of it goes like this. In school, we had a wax museum created by high school girls, as it wasn't modest to have a play, which I think is really a misconstrued message of sneers because you can self-express yourself, sing and dance in the conforms of the four walls of your school. But anyway, that was the way the school understood it, and that girls should not be singing. And I remember as a fourth grader, I watched the wax museum of angels peeling a girl's skin off her feet with hot metal after she died because her tights were too thin. So this this is actually not a this was actually not a museum. They dressed the girls up as wax figures by smearing them in vaseline and had them act out the torture while the younger girls watched. And then later in the play, they had worms eating out of a woman's brain because a few strands of hair showed. This letter is bad enough to show where the trauma is coming from. Now, not that I wanna like talk on schools or whatever, but it's time for the message to change of a message of love. Hashem loves us infinitely no matter what. And our bodies to teach the girls their value, to teach their greatness, to teach them what they possess, 
their bodies are so precious that we cover it just out of not, you know, we wouldn't want anything that's so precious. And our souls that we have to shine out through our bodies, if we can teach the girls in this way, then we can actually teach them to have a love for sneers instead of a fear and a hatred. I would kind of like to weigh in if I may. Um, I think that you are you are absolutely right in terms of the particular genre you're talking about where that kind of shaming occurs. But I think that we also have to factor into it the fact that no matter how high we put up the boundaries around our children and ourselves, you can't stuff the genie back in the bottle. And the truth is, is that we are seeing more images in the course of a day, no matter what our community is, than our grandmothers did in their entire lifetime. And rather than teach people how to navigate those images from a healthy place, we have re-upped what I call body shaming or sneot shaming. Sneot shaming is a kind of bullying that happens from community to community where women are verbally, emotionally, and psychically, and I would add spiritually abused for not conforming to whomever is in the authority position at the moment, whether it be the community that they enter or the like. When you deal with people who are just becoming interested in Yiddishkeit, you're dealing with fully formed, integrated minds that are not ashamed of their histories, but are looking to move forward in a healthy and more satisfying way. Sniut is a response to modernity, but when Sniut is not a response to modernity in a positive way, but rather in a shaming way, it creates so many dysfunctions that it has become a dysfunction in and of itself. And it has led to bulimia and it has led to anorexia and it has led to cutting and various other things where people are searching for endorphins or a sense of control when their control has been taken away even to the extent of their own free will. Now I am a woman who at 40 took on the laws of modesty, both by my community by, you know, uh, Das Moshe, by, by all of it. And even then, I have experienced it. And I'm saying right now that whatever is going on in the schools, the mother has a profound impact on how her daughter responds to what she sees. And if the mother is not psychologically comfortable in her own skin, because she is looking at and measuring herself based on the images she sees around us, if a girl is terrified that she is not fundamentally okay and is getting that message because she's desperate to be whatever size is on the shidduch resume these days or whatever her mother imposes upon her and her sisters, this is a familial systemic problem far beyond the schools. And a mother who is at ease and comfortable in her own body will be able to turn some of this around because if we don't, address with honesty that the world has entered into our Daladamit and that our thoughts have been warped by it, sealing those windows further does not change it. We have to address it and navigate it intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. And that's why the Balchuva has so much to offer as long as she isn't shamed in trying to pretend that she's from from birth, which is a whole other kind of shaming. 
Christine, that was so beautiful and so well expressed. I really, really love that. Shoshana, I would love to hear if you have anything to add into this. Shoshana, I would I want to hear what you have to say. I just want to ex- um, take one, just one more minute to kind of piggyback off of what Adrian just said because the message was so powerful. But I want to, the question that we had over here was how did Tanaeus become so misinterpreted? So what, so we were explaining a little bit, Fegalea was just kind of giving examples of how it's misinterpreted, but I really want to get down to the bottom of why. Like Adrian, you were saying that some of these people are shamed and judged. And I wonder what it comes from because if we want to be able to help the future generations in some way, what what is the source? What's the root of the problem that's going on here? And I, I, I do want to add in a little bit of what, what I think it is. Obviously, this is just my opinion. But I, I think that that in general, this is part of the general uh, trend toward chumrah, toward stringency that we have in our society in general, this holier-than-thou concept. Because there's a social competition that has nothing to do with spirituality. That if I am more machmir, more stringent than you are, then I'm better than you are. So people try to outdo each other all the time. If you open a school and you're more stringent than your school because you do this and this and this, then it's a better school. So that became the measurement of goodness in Judaism. Chumras, how stringent are you? And, and I think it's so... so in general, this idea is that we become, it's all about becoming firmer and firmer instead of becoming better and better. Are we becoming better people or are we becoming firmer people? And this goes back to the original message that Adrian said about body versus soul, right? What What's, what's important in life? Is it about what I do externally, how deeply I shake when I pray, uh, the length? The color, the the size of the 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 matzah that I eat, you know, it's so we make such a big deal about the external things. What about the internal parts, right? Is it all about the color that I wear, or is it about developing a relationship with Hashem? So we have to be able to understand that this is a product of superficiality, and the superficiality is what is. Uh, streaming in from the culture that we live in because everything is about the external today, right? Social media, it's all about the external. And I think a lot of this definitely, obviously today is worse because of social media, but in general, our society has become one that is very, very focused on superficiality. So I just want to, you know, sum up this idea with understanding that most people, as far as I understand, are not doing chumras because they understand the mitzvah and they want to take the mitzvah and bring it to the next level. It's more about, I don't know, impressing their neighbors or just not looking bad in someone's eyes or being firmer and firmer and firmer. So I I feel like that is a lot of the depth of where this this, uh, misinterpretation of Tzniyas comes from. Shoshana, I would love to hear what you have to say. I think it's easy or, you know, it's something that we, we tend to want to do to blame other things. But we also have to really like take a cheshbon nefesh for us. Like if you're, if what you're giving girls in Judaism is their, their sneas, that's their Judaism, then every, the focus is going to be on that, whether it's for the good or for the bad. If we don't teach girls in-depth learning, scholarly learning, academic learning, 
text-based learning so that they feel that they own Judaism and not just that they're told Judaism, then of course they're going to focus on the outside. If the only way I can measure whether you're from or not is what, are, what you're wearing, how you're wearing it, and what you're not wearing, well, that's what's going to become women's Judaism. So of course there's a focus on SNES. It's the easiest thing to see, it's the easiest thing to measure, and it's the thing that we allow women to have. It's the same reason, by the way, that we have wigs that are you know, down to our waists because this is what we give women to do. This is how women define their Judaism. Do we measure their learning? Do we measure their, their tzedakah and their, and their chesed? I'm sorry, but we are also guilty of judging women on their sneas, and we are just as guilty as, uh, of ramming it down their throats. Absolutely. I love what you said. And this is why, by the way, it's so important for us to learn halacha. As women, don't underestimate the power of our intelligence and of our ability to learn halacha, because we need to take responsibility for halacha and not be victims of it. When you're victim of halacha, you don't understand what you're doing. So we can go one of two directions. Either it becomes a trigger for us, or we take a pot, we, we end up taking chumras that are not about the mitzvah at all. So now that we spoke about the problem or, you know, the, the, the um, situation, the issues, what can we do for the future, for the next generation to have a healthy, gen- have a healthy relationship with Tineas? So I feel that it's very important to teach children their value and, and the value of their soul that they're housing and to also um, really be involved in their daily lives and what they did and to stop and take the time and teach them to acknowledge their, self, their selves when they do something good and how it feels inside and to teach them to reach into that good feeling, take it in, breathe it in, compliment celebrate a little bit and not to have to reach out for validation for everything. The kids need to learn to have a sense of feeling good with what they do and with what they live and with the greatness of Torah, of learning, of reaching out, doing something with, without needing outside acknowledgement or validation. When the child learns to self-validate and the beauty of what they've got within, then it's a lot easier to teach them also the value of Whatever, you, if you want to teach them the external of their bodies, that's important too. But to teach them what they've got inside, and life should have a meaning and a value of, of, of really valuing who you are and what you do. A hundred percent, Fagalea. It's such an important topic that you brought up because we live in a society today of consumerism. And we just consume and consume and consume. And I'm not just talking about the physical and material things. We consume emotionally. We, we, when we live in lack... We need to find external ways of filling that void. So we consume not only material things constantly, but we're consuming attention and we're consuming uh, validation from the outside. And that doesn't actually fill us up. It doesn't. The only way we can be filled up is from within. And we also turn, this is part of the reason we turn to unhealthy behaviors, addictions. And today there's so, there's so much addiction. And I'm not just talking about um, clinical addiction. I'm not just talking about substance addiction. Talk about behavioral addiction. We are addicted to our we're addicted to anything that fills us up with whatever it is that we're missing. Sometimes it's technology. It could be shopping. It could be attention. Whatever it is, it could be food. We just we we so need to fill that void. So you're right. If we can help, first help ourselves and help our children feel complete from within and not and not feel that we're living in lack in any way at all, then that can really help them in a huge way. And I feel like 
when it comes to teaching them, um, it's so important for us to teach our children health, uh, healthy sexuality from a very, very young age, very young age. Oops. Starting from when they're babies, um, to, to, uh, this is why it's so important to, to give babies and toddlers a lot of touch, a lot of physical touch, that they should understand that touch is good, touch is important, touch is loving, right? Teach them healthy sexuality. Um, teach them that their bodies are sacred, not secret. There's a huge difference. They're not secret. They're just sacred. And there's no shame. And, and this is how I like to try to understand. By the way, there's a, there's a tefillah that we don't, it's not our custom to say, but there is a tefillah written by the Torah that is supposed to be said by a bride on her wedding night. Okay, the first night that she's with her husband. And this tefillah, this prayer is all about a woman looking forward to being intimate with her husband. How she's look, so much looking forward to it. And I don't know why we don't say it. We should be saying this, this bracha, by the way. But the idea of it is, um, the idea of it is that, that we have to balance these two things. That there's no shame in your body, but your body is not you. Not a body. That's so beautiful. Yafa, I, I messaged you also. I would like to transfer a little bit and see if you want to just be one of the panelists so I can direct the questions at you as well. Whatever you prefer, absolutely. I, I, thought I, I thought I was anyway. Aren't I representing? Okay, Shoshana, would you like to take the microphone? It's very simple. I mean, this is all I do all the time, right? So we have to stop this insanity of the erasure of Jewish women in the Jewish community. It's, it literally sexualizes everything about a woman, from girls to women, from their body parts to diseases, things that are normative to discuss, faces that are normal to see, that selam elokim of women. Every time a woman is erased, every time a girl is erased, you are saying you are an object who cannot be seen because you may cause someone to sin. That is exactly the message you are giving every single time you erase a woman. And until we fix that, until we fix that and the sickness that's going on in our community, who are we kidding that we're going to make Sneas a positive thing? There's no way to make Sneas a positive thing when we say women can't be seen. Literally, that's it. Like, it's, a, it's Sisvian. By the way, I would just like to add, if I can, Absolutely. one little point, that when a child does something good or, or doesn't direct their anger or revenge, I ask them after they did something, where do you feel it in your body? The child should be able to locate the pleasure of it. And also, it's extremely important, I find, to teach them boundaries. This is your space. This is your closet. This is your room. This is your body. And to, to validate how precious their property is to themselves. It gives them a sense of self that they don't need to always go outward for the sense of self. Can I weigh in? Philosophically, I understand what you're all saying. And, and of course, you're, you're absolutely right. But I want to bring it right back to the issues of SNEAD and our dollars moving forward. You know, there's that old expression that charity begins at home. Well, clarity begins at home too. And it begins with the mother and her daughter. So what I'm going to say is probably not very popular, and I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but it's been my experience that where there is dysfunction in a young woman, there is often a dysfunction in her role models. And it can be one of three things. 
It is either the mother who is constantly asking her daughter if she looks fat in this skirt or if she looks slimmer in this one or this one, or should she be wearing this? Or I'm so old, oh my God, I'm so hideous. I can't stand the way I look at myself in the mirror and I just, maybe I should, you know, what, what should I do? Rather than saying to her daughter, I hope, sweetheart, that when you're 52, you feel as beautiful as I do. You'll probably think that your pictures in your 20s that you think are ugly now are the best pictures you ever took in your 50s and 60s. But I'm here to tell you that this feeling of self-loathing, this, this sense of lack of self-esteem that is inherent in a teenage girl, which is where all this comes in, it's part of the process of, of growing and being fearful that no one's going to love you or find you attractive enough to marry you and make a child with you, that if the mother can model a sense of self-esteem and confidence about being a soul that happens to be in a body and not sharing her obsessions and concerns with her children about what she looks like, you're going to see, number one, a huge change. The second thing I can tell you is as someone who comes from the entertainment industry and watched for the 15 years I spent, the most beautiful girls come and go and come and go and stayed in my role because people so you know, carefully said to me, you're not very pretty, but we love looking at you. That somehow, if we can convince our daughters that while they believe that their physical beauty is going to net them something, that beauty may open the door, but it doesn't keep you in the house. What keeps you in the house of your aspirations is your internal development, your kindness, your goodness, your adult, okay, whatever it is, but when the mother is in a state of panic, she transfers that unwillingly, unwittingly, and unconsciously to her daughter. And if there is a, happens to be a very physically beautiful, slender by nature mother with a daughter who didn't inherit that genetic pool, the daughter is both angry and threatened by her mother. This happens whether you're from or you're fry, it's irrelevant. We have to deal with the fundamental psychological transfer of attitudes from mother to child. If we don't do that, no matter how much we fix in the outside world, we'll still be dysfunctional in our homes. I love what you're saying, Adrian. Thank you. And Yafa, would you like to add anything here before we go on to the next question? Oh, thank you. Um, no, I mean, I just, I just wanted to say, I love what you said, Adrian. Your outer voice becomes their inner voice, you know? And I love that it's so important that we as role models, you know, this is our job. So I love what you're saying. Um, and no, I just, I just wanted to reiterate that, that, that we shouldn't, again, as mothers, we shouldn't, we should understand the, um, how sacred our bodies are and that there's no shame in them, that there's this balance between, um, you know, that there's no shame in your body, but yet your body isn't you that you are a soul, you're not a body, but the fact that you do have a body, the body is a tool that Hashem gave you in order for you to reach your highest potential. So the body has value, but the value doesn't define, but the body doesn't define who we are. Well, if the mother doesn't believe that, I can assure you the daughter won't either. The mother, whatever size, shape, or way she moves through the world, feels or at least pretends to feel good in her skin and censors her self-loathing that she projects onto her daughter, you will see a healthier outcome. 100%. I love that. I love that. Okay, so our next question is, and I'll jump a little bit. We're moving on to the business side of things. Let's talk about the erasure of women. And uh, we'll give Shoshana here a longer space to speak on it because you are definitely an expert here. But I'd like to take this a little deeper when we're going to be addressing the other panelists here. 
I understand in one way, like there's modesty and there's being more appropriate or not having your face splashed on banners. But then when it comes to business, women uh, definitely, if they are adhering to certain standards of modesty, they will be compromised or at a disadvantage when it comes to business marketing. And without throwing it out the window, the whole concept, how do we balance this? So uh, Shoshana, would you like to start? So I think it's important for me just to state, you know, I've watched this happen. I live in Bet Israel, and Bet is pretty much the canary in the coal mine when it comes to Jewish extremism, to women being erased. My girls were asked to sit in the back of the bus when they were all but, you know, eight and 10 years old. Um, and so I'm very familiar with how it starts off by saying, oh, it's just about modesty, and it becomes very much about control and about where you can and can't be. Uh, Esti Shushan here says, she's an activist, a Haredi activist here, and she says, there is a mechitza in the Bet Knesset, not in the Knesset, okay? And basically, the, it's important for me to explain, uh, and I'll try to be brief. In Israel, there are two political parties, neither of, uh, two Haredi political parties, neither of which allow women to be represented, meaning their entire list is men, okay? And so they right now have 16 out of 100, 120 seats, which means they have more than 10%. All counts, all UTJ and Shas, that's the name of the parties, don't allow women even in local elections. Uh, there's no Haredi women's representation. And I'm speaking about Haredi ultra-Orthodox because that's where you can see very easily the results of erasing women and not allowing women representation. So you have an entire population of women who are not represented because the men don't come to the Knesset meetings on women's health, and they don't come to the Knesset meetings on women's abuse. And there, are, there is abuse in the ultra-Orthodox community. There is, unfortunately, health, our, our health issues, obviously, as there are in every community, in the, women, in the Haredi community. But the problem is that the Haredi media doesn't speak about women's health. So where are women getting information, and who's protecting them? Nobody. So in the Haredi community here in Israel, even though women develop breast cancer less often, they die of it more. And I was personally asked by a Haredi expert, a Haredi woman, excuse me, activist, who came to me and said, can you help me uh, raise awareness of breast cancer in my community? Because I can't watch another neighbor die of a disease she doesn't know she had. I've interviewed doctors, I've interviewed researchers, I've interviewed Haredi women, I have interviewed uh, healthcare workers, and they all say the same thing. They don't know what breast cancer looks like. They don't know screening. They don't, and please, please understand, I'm not being a, a negative about Haredi women at all, okay, at all, because they don't get the information. The moment you make a woman and her body and her health something you can't speak about and her face something you cannot see, automatically and without question, her rights go down the tubes, her representation, her health, and her finances. So just like Francisca, like you mentioned, there are women here, I can show you paper upon paper, but you have it yourself, I'm sure, that you have male um, real estate agents and male doctors and dentists who can absolutely advertise with their faces and the women cannot. So first of all, you're, you're harming a woman's parnasa, it's not a question. Women's parnasa is harmed by their erasure, first of all. Second of all, you're harming women's health because they don't know the signs to look for. It's not discussed in the papers and it's not sanua to talk about, so they don't discuss it well in their community. So we raise, Chochman Hashim raises awareness of breast cancer uh, in the Haredi community with massive pashkavelim and billboards on street signs and, and, and on highway signs. We went to Rav Asher Weiss, Shlita, who helped us with a letter where he explicitly said, 
get screened for breast cancer and use the words because those words are not unsneeze. Again, we go back to the definition of sneeze. Is it unsneeze to say the word breast? It is not. It is part of your body and in the right circumstances, it must be discussed. And so all I can tell you is this. When women are erased, when we are not seen, there is direct damage that is caused in every facet of our lives. But moreover, the entire community suffers when women are erased. When you don't have the outlook, when you don't have the representation, when you don't have the perspectives of women in the uh, community uh, top leadership, you are missing a tremendous amount of information, of experience, of understanding, and of, of a proper way to take care of the community. I'm just going gonna, gonna to say it like this. When women aren't seen, their voices are not heard, and their needs are not met. I am telling you as someone who has seen it on a local level and in the rabbinic courts where I represented my aunt who was getting a divorce, it is vital for the Jewish community and our future that women stop being erased and start being put at the table of positions of power and influence. I'm not talking about rabbis. I'm talking about communal decisions where things are discussed for the health of the community. Thank you very much. Adrian. would you like to talk? I have nothing to add to that except my utmost respect. Thank you. Uh, Fegalea. I also have nothing to add. She's probably okay. said it all. When it comes to... <laughs> and I don't think... And when it comes to, to the papers and the magazines out here, um, I don't think there is... I mean, face is the place where the countenance of our souls is supposed to emanate from. And I, I don't see the reason for erasing our faces. I mean... Isn't that the place where the Shekhinah is supposed to emanate from? You know, it's interesting you should say that. Um, uh, several years back, I did a presentation in Toronto about, um, and it was what was happening at the same time, was Canada was attempting to ban the niqab, the, the burqa covering of the face. Right. Um, it was illegal to wear one in a public space. At the same time that in San Francisco, they were trying to ban ritual circumcision, Brit Mila. And um, I did this presentation about um, where there are parallels politically and why it's a problem. And one of the things that, uh, that I understood was that we're not actually permitted to cover our faces. Forget the, you know, the pandemic we're dealing with right now. We're not permitted to cover our faces. Our hands and our faces are supposed to be the places where, as, as, as Ms. Lando just pointed out, where that shines through. But it still, for me, goes back to that same essential issue, which is that these chomras that Yaffa spoke about, this, these deepening and thickening of the walls, as opposed to teaching us how to navigate the extreme opposites of modernity, are what is creating the fear that's at the basis of all these chomras. At the basis of a chomra is the fear, the, the, the terror, and, and, and Mrs. Lando discussed this at the beginning, that we will all be lost. But some things do not need terror or fear as a response. They need compassion, love, and, 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 and an understanding. And when we use fear as a control mechanism, everyone, everyone suffers. And I think that's one of the reasons that we are suffering so deeply, is that refusal to discuss modernity put it within perspective through your from spectacles through a through an outlook of your um, your your compassion and your deep devotion to yiddishkeit 
but to not erase it entirely. Because the minute we do that, we erase not just women, but we also erase a young woman's capability of moving through the world when the curtain is pulled slightly to the side. A hundred percent. And I think that that it's, it's really important to understand where things come from. You know, we're so quick today uh, to jump on, hop on board with like the newest trend and the newest movement and the newest hashtag. And everyone's so excited, you know, to share the, the, and hop onto the newest bandwagon. We need step back and see where are these things coming from because so often they're not coming from a healthy place they're not coming from a Torah place and when it comes specifically to this to the erasure of women I'm going to say that on one hand um, yeah magazines and publications they should reflect real life when you walk out into the street and you go into the store you see women's faces, you see people, that's how it should be, right? And magazines should mirror that reality. Um, th nothing is written anywhere that a man is not allowed to look at a woman's face in real life. Yeah, we know we can't observe women in a sensual way, but women can be seen and should be seen. So yes, publications technically should mirror real life. And, and it is an issue, of course, with girls uh, growing up feeling like they're second class and they can't be seen. And they're looking at all the role models out there. Everybody sees Taylor Swift and all these other celebrities, but is anybody, does anyone know what Rebetini Mima Mizrahi looks like? I, I don't know, right? So we have this, this issue. Um, but on the other hand, and Shoshana, I'm, I love to play the devil's advocate because it's important to have a conversation, uh, even though, of course, I, I agree with this. But um, I just, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if there's a balance and maybe this is kind of where it's coming from. When I was growing up in the 90s, okay, um, we had all these Jewish publications, the Jewish Observer and all these things, they all had women's faces on, um, on them, all. There was, there, this wasn't even a conversation back then. Also, somebody recently sent me a video that she found in her archives, an old uh, VHS, okay, of a Shul Malava Malka. She was in, she, we grew up together and we had this Shul Malava Malka. I was guessing that that was, I don't even know if it was 1990. It was somewhere around there probably, okay? I was very young. And she showed, sent me this video and it was so nice because my father was there who's not alive anymore and my brother was leading the choir and it was just so nice to see it. And I noticed, I, I had this observation, I was looking at that video of the Malava Malka and I realized men, this was a from shul, it was an Aguda shul, okay? Men and women were sitting in the same room, there was no mechitza, they were at separate tables, but they were all together, there was no mechitza even in the room. And everybody was mingling, everybody was together. And I was realizing how far we've come from that, you know? And, and then I also, that, and that got me thinking that I wonder if back then, women who identified as um, tzniot women, women who covered their hair and who really followed the laws, they were in general more refined than maybe we have today because we, they didn't have the exposure then that they have today. And today, and again, this is totally without judgment. This is not at all. I love, like, this is not any specific anything. I love everyone and there is zero, zero judgment. But I wonder if today the lines are so much more blurred and therefore if publications put women's faces in, maybe there's a kind of 
Like, where's the balance? Do, we, do people want their husbands and sons seeing women who are technically considered sneas women, but they're really not in the terms of halacha? Or, you know, maybe people have this and then therefore they're like, I don't know, where's the balance? Who do I, whose face do I allow in and whose face do I not allow in if people don't want a magazine like this in their home? Does this make sense? This is So, I, so I'll, I'll just say two things. Number one, I've walked the halls of the Knesset and I can tell you that I, I, my own eyes with every day, day and night, Haredi MKs are speaking to women in tank tops with no hair covering. So do me a favor, okay? First of all, when you need to do it for work, it's not a problem. But their own women, they won't let it at the table. So it's not about sneers, it's about control. That's first of all. Second of all, um, when it comes to publications, if you're going to say to me, well, if we let this lady, how do we not this, this lady, how do we tell women above 75, they're not attractive, we can see them and under, do me a favor. If you can't figure out how to function and put normal, normative faces in a magazine, take out the men. No faces. Zero. No problem. No men, no women. Watch what happens if you say that. And then come back and tell me that it's about our egos. I'm wondering, yeah, right? I'm also wondering if the ratio of women um, ended up uh, bringing about a certain level of disrespect. Because um, years ago, what, what Yafa just said, that years ago there were men sitting on one side and women, or men and women at the table, there was a very high level of respect from uh, like a mutual, natural human expect from men to women. And there was confidence in the woman and respect from the man's side. Is the erasure erasing the confidence and also erasing the respect? I'm just wondering. I think you make an excellent point. And I think it, one of the things that uh, came out when I, made it, when I interviewed men as well was that they lost the ability to see women as full human beings and they only saw them as sexual beings and they didn't know how to interact. And it was devastating to them. They couldn't function. We I know that my grand sorry. I no, know that my say, grandfather to our boys and men. Yeah, I, I know that my grandfathers, they were highly respected people, really holy Jews. I mean, Torah and, and Avod and everything was like they were soaked through through and through. Such, such holy people greeting all the women in their neighborhood from before war, or all the women just, just stopping the street and shaking their heads and greeting and saying, How are you? And they just walked on. It was that was no problem. I don't know. This is largely, of course it was, but that's because the outside world didn't look like it does now. So much of the boundaries and the fences that we have created one around the other and around the other, they're not homeless so much as they're fences. And we put more and more fences because we are terrified of the outside world. So part of the development of the firm community has to be an understanding of how to relate, discuss, and navigate the state of modernity without painting it all with a brush that it's all black and disgusting and horrible and fat and like, let's make our walls thicker. But discussing why we don't operate that way, not in shaming other people or shaming other ways of expressing your modesty, where the shame is removed and, and our decisions are based 
not as, you know, it's like that, that famous parquet. If I am I because you are you and you are you because I am I, then I'm not I and you're not you, right? And this is what we have done. We are a reactionary people. We are reacting to something we don't like and don't understand. And it's forcing us to extremes that will do more damage to us than anything else. And it terrifies me. 20, 30, 25 years ago, I chose a new way of life. It wasn't like it is today. I'm not personally sure I would have chosen it today if this was the standard. And given the many, many people I have seen come to Torah in the last 25 years, I beg all of us to begin making the changes within your own home, yourself, Stop erasing yourself intellectually, emotionally. Stop shaming yourself. Stop measuring yourself. Refuse to be part of the game. And you will build and raise daughters that perhaps will be able to do the same. I love that you said that, Adrian, because somebody had asked the question here, and I was I was going to comment something that you just said. Um, it was addressed to you, Shoshana, the question in the chat box. What can we do as community members to put counter pressure on publication institutions to stop erasing women? So maybe you want to take that question. Maybe you don't. But I wanted to explain about this idea, pretty much what Adrian said. And I love how you phrased it, Adrian. And that was so powerful, by the way, what you said about you don't know judging by today's society, if you would have made the same life choices that you did 25 years ago. Um, but I, I really think that whether or not, you know, sometimes it's not about, it's not always about reaching big. Sometimes it's really about reaching inside. And I really think that we can make the biggest changes when we reach inside, when we, when we accept ourselves, when we have self-confidence, when we know, when we live intentionally, when we know the reason we're doing things and we do them with joy and with pleasure and we share that joy and our pleasure with the people around us and with our families, this is how we make change. And today we're actually so blessed that we have platforms today. So some, some publications don't want to put our faces in. Okay. We have plenty of platforms. Platforms also that if we can't make any change there, get up, get on Facebook, get on Instagram, get on Zoom, and and show your face and do your thing and teach and and connect and and live and shine your your beautiful light out into the world because every single one of you have a beautiful light that needs to be shined out into the world and it's a gift from Hashem that we have platforms today where we can show our faces independently and individually. Amazing. May I answer? Go ahead, Shoshana. Briefly. We're on a briefly, roll. Briefly, yeah. briefly, briefly. Okay. Well, because it was addressed to me, so I feel I just want to answer. Uh, first of all, follow Chokhmat Hashim. We talk about this all, all the time, and we have a lot of answers and articles. But I would say two things. Number one, literally today, we just released our seal of respect. It's like a hechsher, and it says, women's visibility guaranteed, representation with respect. And any business, any publication, any organization that doesn't erase women gets our seal. You can look for it and you can give them your dollars. You can give, give them your business. What we have to do is have, be a counter market force. They have to know that people aren't going to support stock organizations or publications that erase women. So first of all, get that to everyone you know and spread it around. We have to start fighting back in a positive way. That's number one. Number two, speak out. 
People don't talk about this. They accept it. Someone today I was speaking to, she's half my age and she's like, I guess I just kind of got used to it. I kind of just like thought that was it. And she left Judaism because she didn't want to be erased anymore. Right? So we have to speak out just for ourselves, for our daughters, for our community. And we have to say, this is, un this is not only is it unnecessary, it's literally damaging to us. It's bad for us to speak out wherever you can. If your school's trying to erase you, if they want to honor your husband, but not you or Put your husband's picture up, but not yours. Say no. If there's an organization, stock organization that wants your money and they don't have women in there, tell them why you're not giving to them. In every aspect of your life, you can make sure that women are more represented, are at the seat at the table, are being heard wherever it is. I bet you you could think of at least three places that need to be have women seen and heard. And I'm happy to talk about this afterwards. I don't want to take the whole, th whole thing up, but I'm happy to talk about it afterwards uh, and talk about more options. Thank you. So Adrian has to uh, leave us right now. So I'd like to thank Adrian Gold Davis so much for joining us today. And it was so great to see you. Thank you too. Um, yes. Thank you so much for adding so much value. And this will be available on the podcast after. So if anyone has to go now, they're welcome uh, to catch this on later. And we will continue here for anyone who is available to stay. We have a few more questions. I think there's so much important information and discussion that's happening. And um, I want to bring it more practical. Maybe now we can focus on really practically, how does this relate to our girls today? Yes. So I, I'd like to, yeah, we'll start with the first question in that series. And the first one is, and I'm speaking as somebody who represents women in the arts, women who are dancers and singers are in film and who want to continue uh, to be a part of the Orthodox community, not just in their, in their lifestyle, but in their work style as well and in the spirit of it. So how do you balance uh, being tznius yet having your unique form of expression and individuality? Who would like to go first? Yeah. Hearing you ask that question, and I don't even see the contradiction because your expression, um, the way this question is indicative that your self-expression is external to you. It has to do with the way you dress, right? And my understanding of humanity, of femininity, of Judaism, of tzniut, is that your self-expression has to come from an internal place, and it's not external. So tzniut is about allowing a woman to walk beyond their vanity as an image of their identity. That's really what Tzniyot is. It's about the ability to recognize yourself from within as opposed to from without. Um, your individuality and your personal expression as the clothing you wear should actually be the least important. The clothing should be the least, the least part of your of your expression. Your individuality, as far as I understand, is defined by your intelligence, by your creativity, by your character, by your midos, by your choices, by your acts of chesed. The color of your dress really is secondary. So that's, that's how I, you know, how I understand it, you know, and of course you should be able to wear clothes that align with your personality. Look, I'm, I love fashion, you know, I love fashion and I love um, style. And to me, there's actually no contradiction between the two because the balance and, and this is a few people have uh, were asking me some questions privately over here. 
And one of the questions that that somebody was asking me was, you have to, I'm telling you, you have, this is, you have to be <laughs> ADHD and Zoom is not the best combination. There are so many things not at once over here. So I'm trying to read the chat and focus on everything and have, you know, an answer. Uh, the idea is that um, when you identify, so the, I forgot what the specific question was because it already went all the way up and scrolled up. Okay, so that's this question. I wanted to get back to what was asked because it really connects with this is that um, about the body if, if you're, if you're, so here we're talking about developing an internal identity as opposed to an external identity. Okay. Which we know is really what's important. The essence of who you are comes from your soul. It doesn't come from your body. And when you create an external identity, then everything in your life is external. Okay. That means that the, the things you say, your words, they're external. They're not really internal. Um, the things you do, your actions, they're external actions. You're doing them for validation or to look good in people's eyes as opposed to looking good as opposed to being good, right? Uh, your relationships are external. Your happiness is external. Even your mitzvahs become external. But when you create an internal identity, then everything in life is internal, including your relationships, including the things you say, the things you do, your mitzvahs, your happiness. Your happiness is internal. Right, this is the balance between the internal and external relationship. Right, so if you're trying to create self-expression through something that's external, how deep is that going to go? How long will it even last? Hello, how long does our external bodies live? The body's finite. All right, and no matter how much Botox you use, we all know how old you are. We know. Okay, it's finite. It's finite. But when you focus on creating your identity from within, it's infinite. The soul is infinite. So this is where the work has to be. Now, the expression could be on the outside. Is the body not important? The body's super important, okay? We have to dress well. We have to be healthy, take care of ourselves. We have to look good. And it's super, super important. But we can't um, have an imbalance between the body and the soul, are we putting more energy into focusing on the body or more energy into focusing on the soul? How much time are we giving each thing? The body is important, but the body's importance is in direct correlation to the function of the soul, to the mission of the soul. It's only here to house the soul. So it can't possibly be more important than that. Can I add another dimension to what Yafa is saying? Um, so I find that to me, the most important is to first connect inward and grow my inward connection before go, before deciding where and when to go outward. So I do like to give myself, which I would love to, to recommend for everyone, I do like to give myself at least one day of the month where I go out with myself. I get myself a good lunch and I, I choose a place of either an out-of-town mall or a nature place, driving through a nice, beautiful town, uh, listening to my, if I'm in the mood of listening to a lecture a little bit, or to my own music and just singing loudly in the car, um, going out for a little shopping, eating my lunch at a quiet place, listening to the quiet, listening to what I'm thinking, and always building on that connection, introspecting, thinking of where I want to go forward, giving myself also a little time daily here and there to stop, to think, to take in what I did, to acknowledge myself, to breathe it in, to thank Hashem, always balancing the connection inward before going outward. Yes, I do share, 
And yes, when I feel that something feeds me, I look out to where I can make it a teachable thing and reach out to others and share in a teachable way. But that balance of always going back inward and always connecting inwardly, whether it's learning my favorite thing, whether it's giving time to myself, listening to my emotions, learning to just give myself time to be sometimes, sometimes it's daily a little bit, sometimes it's, and then really making time for yourself to know, to draw pleasure on within and not only on outward pleasure. I am a very outward person. I love to share. I love to go out with friends. You know, if I don't balance this as a day in my calendar, then I lose it. I don't remember on how to draw from connecting up to the inside. I like to draw on that. And then when I go shopping, I have my priorities set like that. Do I love this? Do I like the color and the style of this dress? Second thing, does it match my um, standards of whether it's smears, whether it's um, my level of, uh, of my values? The third thing, I look at the price tag. So this is how I shop. Do I like it? Does it match my values? Is it in my price budget? So I always like to first draw on within. And that keeps me in the balance of smears. Mm -hmm. Right, that's really beautiful, and 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 it's 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 so important to have this understanding. Um, I love I love the the three step um, method that you just shared. Right, isn't that nice? I like that. It makes it very practical. Do I like it? Fine with me. Yeah, Shoshana. I just want to say something very very simple. I think the thing that's kept me going through all that I've seen as Judy, I grew up in Lakewood, New Jersey. I mean, like, like I know what it was like when we were from back then and everyone still said hello to each other. And I don't think it just had to do with what we were or weren't wearing. My mother wore jeans and Rav Kotler's at Sal spoke with her in Yiddish. Okay. I, I think that there is a basic understanding that your relationship with Hashem is your relationship with Hashem. Nobody can take that from you. Nobody can judge you on that. And, and, and Hashem isn't listening to what someone else is saying in their head about what you are or aren't doing or are or aren't wearing or how you're making your balance or how you're making it work in your life. If I didn't have a strong relationship my, on my own with Hashem, I don't know that I'd be from. I don't know. Because everything that I've seen has been tearing me apart. And I think that if I can give anyone any piece of advice they're balancing the different parts of their soul with the strictures and, and difficulties of being a Jewish woman sometimes in our community. Is it just you are your own relationship with Hashem? Nobody else owns the Torah more than you do. And you find your derech, keep yourself, you know, keep that relationship going, keep yourself what you need to do, and everything else is commentary. That, that's just how I feel. I think you can't really have Judaism unless you yourself have a good relationship with Hashem, how it means to you. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Okay, so we have uh, two more questions, and we're going to wrap this up. We're over time, but I am loving this. And somebody asked that I address this question as well. Um, and I'll just say this in two sentences. I don't know. I, I don't call myself a Rebbiton. I, yeah, I'm a singer. I happen to be also Orthodox Jewish. And it's a life's struggle for me to figure out how the two work together for me. Because it's not just a spiritual experience for me. There's also a strive for an art form 
to also be competitive or be competitive enough. So anyone who's exposed to mainstream media considers that on par as well. So I have that going on. So do I have the answer? I do not. It's an ever learning process for me. And that's one of the reasons I decided to organize and have and host this platform. So I hope I, I satisfy that need to answer to anyone who's been requesting. I'd like to wrap up with this. So how can SNES add to our lives in a meaningful way? So we spoke about all the negativity and all the trauma and all the everything horrible about it, but there's something beautiful about it. At least that's how it's taught to us or in Beisiakov or by our mothers. There is this attempt of of beautifying it or explaining it in the way of a diamond. And then you want to protect your diamond or Sefer Torah and you cover the Sefer Torah. Anyone who's been through any uh, Jewish or more on the right side, Jewish education system, there's this attempt of beautifying it and adding meaning. So now that we've talked about all the struggles with this concept and this, uh, this big, big woman's role with this tznias that's not just addressed for women exclusively, but it has become a woman's exclusive issue. How do we add a refreshing, positive look to it? Who would like to start? Fegalea, would you like to start? Okay. So going back to when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge. Um, uh, so before that, they weren't dressed. They were naked but they knew that their body was a vehicle to have them be able to connect to God through their souls. And they viewed their body as part of that, of that, that was like the vehicle of Avoda, of connecting. But when they gave into their body's desire, it sort of disconnected and they realized that they were naked. And then, when, and then they hid and were trying to make dresses of fig leaves to cover themselves. And then Hashem asked, where are you? And they said that they were naked and God, and God asked them, who told you that you were naked? Because, of course, that was the understanding that they, they ate of the Aitadas, of the tree of knowledge. And so God made them um, durable and prettier clothing of leather. Um, beauty was never a problem. God braided Chava's hair before he uh, presented her to Adam. Um, the separation of body and soul is what actually brought us to have to have clothing. If we are able to um, incorporate in our lives, knowing that the connection from within to above is what we're living for, and to find satisfaction in that, sometimes by just um, stopping to acknowledge and take in whatever we're doing in our daily lives, and we are doing so, so, so much, and we think we're doing nothing. But at the end of the day, she'll calculate what a, what a woman does, what a mother does, and how much she's been doing behind the scenes all the time. It, it's just incredible how much we do. That satisfaction um, removes a bit of the needing to live in, in an outward life. There is so much satisfaction in that. And also, so Chava was the one that brought damage from behind the scenes. And our essence is to, to kind of correct what it was that Kava damaged in the world from behind the scenes. And that is why we are, we are called an Ezer Connecto, meaning that we are um, helping the world, uh, helping the world kind of correct from behind the scenes um, and bring a balance of helping and, and like restraining the negative, kind of. 
So women are allowed to step forth and teach. But women also have a very strong drive from behind the scenes. If we can come to appreciate that and know that there is no play and no performance and nothing, if not for the work behind the scenes, if we can come to realize what we do, I mean, God acknowledged himself when he created the light and he saw that it came into balance. He said he told it was good. He wasn't speaking to any malachim. He wasn't speaking to any humans. There was nobody in the world. Who was he speaking to when he acknowledged the light? He was acknowledging that the work that he did was good. If we can come to acknowledge ourselves and know where we're coming from, I mean, I'm not going to go into the brachas that people think that it is a negative when the men say, isha, and when we say, it's actually the contrary. The men say, well, the men say, isha because the woman is like the general that has a lot harder job in the world. And if you draft people to the army, they wouldn't say, thank you, government, for drafting me. They would say, thank you for not putting me in the front lines or thank you for not making me a general. And Sha'asani Kritsono is literally that Hashem desired fully to create the woman to be the drive and the intuition behind the scenes to bring the world into balance. And it was his will. It's a much higher caliber of a bracha. We have a huge job. If we can get to appreciate and know what we're doing, then we don't need that exposure. We don't need that posting everything we do or everything we are on social media. We can keep some of it to ourselves and like go to sleep satisfied. Thank you so much. I see Shoshana yawning and making faces. Would you like to respond? First of all, I apologize. There's a reason I don't play poker. Um, I, 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 I really chafe at being told that our place is behind the scenes. And I know that you don't mean to say we can only be behind the scenes. I'm a familiar. And I'm not going to get into the fact that, you know, Adam did misrepresent the commandment to Chava, which is why she ate from the... the okay, okay, so let, let's just make sure that we be care midrash and this and that. Okay, fine. What was the original question was, how do we make Sineas positive? Yes. Listen, everything in Judaism is beautifully balanced, okay? It's supposed to be beautifully balanced. When you overly focus on a woman's physicality, whether via exposure or erasure, both of those things Turn her into an object. Have you ever heard a man described as a diamond or a Torah? Do me a favor. We are human beings. Enough with this comparing us to objects. Please, Hashem. On both ends, it's the same thing, okay? We are human beings. We are people, fully formed people who have a job in the world. And that job can be behind the scenes or in front of the scenes. You could be a doctor. You could be a housemaker. I don't care what your job is. As long as you do your job with love, with happiness, with, with satisfaction, and without feeling that there's something wrong with you, okay? And that's the importance. What Sneez does is simply allow you to be you. And I, I think it's important that we understand that what is, again, I, I started this by saying Sneez is awareness. You got me talking Ashkenazis again, by the way. <laughs> to be Sneez is to be aware of yourself and the people around you. And if you are aware of yourself and the people around you, so you can't go wrong, right? I believe, I trust in women. I don't think women need to be told inches or fabrics or this or that. I take the books that say these things and I put them in a Lagba Omer fire. That's where they belong. Women can be trusted to be aware of themselves and their surroundings with a little bit of just discussing what it means to interact human, human, with human beings. What does it mean to to contribute, and what does it mean to listen? I don't think we have to be talking about this nauseating. I don't talk to my daughters about inches. 
I don't talk to my daughters about sleeve length. I, once in a while, I may say, you know, and, and we'll, we'll it out a little bit, but I don't want my daughters to focus on their body parts, not on this end and not on that end. So I, I don't have all of the answers. I can just say to you that SNEAS and Judaism is about being balanced and about finding our humanity wherever, whatever side of the curtain we decide to be on. Exactly, Shoshana. And I love that you said that um, about the balance and about your daughters that you don't talk about inches. In my home, we don't talk about inches or colors. We also don't talk about weight and any of that stuff. Anything that is so body focused is a complete corruption of who we are, of the, of the power of a woman. It's not about us. We're so much more than that. We're, we're, we're intellectual beings. We're, we're givers. We're doers. We're accomplishers. It's just... You know, it can't be, we can't just minimize ourselves to a body. It's ridiculous, right? So that's really the idea, the understanding. And, you know, by the way, if you're looking at halacha of tzniyas, there are so few halachos regarding what tzniyas is, what, what should be covered. Literally, we can count them on one hand, on one hand. But yet there are books and books and books and discussions and conversations of man-made halachos or chumras regarding tzniyas. And the reason for this is because we need, we, in the beginning I mentioned that tzniyas first has to be a midah and then it could be a mitzvah. So the mitzvah is extremely important. Of course, we have that mitzvah. But it, like with everything in life, there, it's, we're doing everything is, is for the internal, but it's expressed in the external because we are spiritual beings who live in a physical world. So we are not here in this world. Uh, we're not um, um, uh, here for a physical, a, a spiritual pleasure. It's not like we're physical beings who are here to experience, to have a physical experience. We're spiritual beings who are just having a physical experience. And this is what's important to understand. So why do we have so few halachos of tzniyas? Because we need those guidelines. We understand that there's a mitzvah here. We need the guidelines, but the rest of it is up to us. Hashem says the rest of it is your sensitivity. Take, I'm giving you the guidelines. Now you take it and run with it. So Hashem has so much faith in us and gives us so much credit to be making our own decisions and to developing a relationship with him, just following the few guidelines that he gave us. That's it. It's really, it's nothing more than that. And we have to create that balance between the body and soul because the body is important and the soul is important. Which one, but one is the driver and one is, um, one is the horse and one is the rider. Yeah, excellent point to learn, learn, learn on your own and not just listen to what people tell you. And sorry, Francesca, I just want to, it's very, very important that women learn on their own and don't just get used to being spoon fed what people tell you, please. This is what I said before. You can't just be victims of knowledge and victims of halacha. Pick up a safer and learn. We're so capable of learning, right? It's not just for men, it's for women. And we have And ask questions. And yes, ask, ask questions. questions. Learn, learn, learn. Okay, super, super important. And um, I wanted to, to say before, uh, Francisco, what you said about, um, you know, you touched upon using your talents. And um, yeah, uh, okay, I'm just laughing at some of the comments. Okay, so um, about this is part of how we could create our own identity. And this is so practical for ourselves and for our daughters today. Okay, you, Hashem gave you a talent, you got to get up and use it. Go, you, if you're passionate about something, 
You're passionate about that for a reason. Hashem gave that to you because you need to use that to serve him in the best way you can and to build yourself in the best way that you can. So there's no such thing as not singing because it's not tineus and not dancing because that's it. You find a space to do it. Okay. And I see that there are so many questions on here that I wish we can get to. Can I add something to what Yafa just said? Okay. To, to teach children from when they're young where their creativity lies in and, and to complement it and help them develop it and also to teach them about their bodies from when they're young and that they are very precious. And when they come home from school or hate or asking you questions about their private body parts, to tell them that they are the most precious and they need to protect themselves and not to make it into a, not to make them into a body thing and not to make it into a problem. And call the body parts by their names, please. Yes. Okay. So I'd like to wrap this up. First of all, thank you so much to all our panelists, incredible women who are doing so much with their lives for, for the communities at large and, and in their families. I'd like to address just some of the things we spoke about today. A lot of it, SNEAS is awareness. SNEAS can be sensitivity. SNEAS is not exclusive to women. This is about your relationship with Hashem. It's also the guidelines. It's the minimum. Everyone has to figure out what they're doing or it's the ceiling, meaning it's not the entire thing. And uh, one more thing, this is not on the community. This is not on the rabbis. This is not on the teachers. This is on us as mothers, as women, to interpret it in our best way with our own relationship with Hashem so we can model healthy behavior for our children to learn from. This is not something we are delegating to the teachers. We don't even know what they will be teaching. Potentially, you should be screening your schools to figure out the hashkafa, but it's not something we delegate to the community to take care of. This is on us as women to, to create our own healthy foundation with SNEAS or what it's not or what it is so our daughters can learn from, from us and not on other people and then try to rectify that. This does ignite so much passion with me. I'm definitely fired up here. So I think I, I made it my clear stance here. I am so grateful to you ladies and to everyone who joined today that we facilitated this conversation. I think there is a lot that can be gained from here. I think there's a lot of responsibility we can assign ourselves and not just throw it on on religion or to schools or to sfarim and rabbis who write the sfarim and just take responsibility as this is something that we can take and just run with it, become our individual selves and interpret what SNES is to us. Well done. Thank you. So thank you everyone for joining. There is a podcast that I host. We dive deep into particular conversations with artists, singers, and dancers. We talk about these issues as well. So I'm so happy we have this episode to add as an addition. So make sure to check out the Francisco Show podcast. And uh, Shoshana also hosts a podcast called Chochmat Nashim, where you can Chochmat learn Nashim. so much. Also on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Oh, also on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Thank you, Rabbi Scott Khan. And also Adrian Gold Davis hosts a podcast as well. And maybe Yafa <laughs> will also be hosting one. Okay, so thank you so much all for joining. Uh, this will be available on the podcast. And feel Thank free you. to reach out to me if, if you have any follow-up questions. FranciscaMusic.com. Well done. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, and if you're listening on an iPhone, leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to reach out about my music, coaching, or podcast services, email me at franciscak at gmail.com. Also, check out the show notes for all the links. See you next time.